We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. Welcome back. Tuesday, March 21st, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. Our phone number is 602-508-0960. That's 602-5080-960. Feel free to give us a ring to participate any way on any issue you may like. Do you recall a time in America when you'd have an experience with a store or repair center doctor's office, hopefully not, but maybe a hospital, maybe some other kind of retailer or even a restaurant, and you were just impressed or had a really pleasant experience. You'd walk in and the person behind the counter would be immediately polite and attentive. If you were waited on, as in a hospital or restaurant, you'd ask for something and it would come. You'd call an office or service center and someone would answer and be helpful and solve the problem or transfer you to someone who was helpful and could solve the problem rather than transfer you to someone who would transfer you to someone who would transfer you to someone if you got a live person to answer in the first place. Today, do you not find it more common that in any of these similar type experiences you are considered an annoyance to be dealt with or pacified rather than a customer to be desired? Something changed here in service and work and service and work ethics, hasn't it, didn't it? It's noticeable, right? Try this test. When is the last time you told a friend, I had the best experience at X or with X? I highly recommend them. I was thinking of this as I was reading a piece in the Wall Street Journal this morning by Matt Weidinger of the American Enterprise Institute. He writes that unemployment is, the article is titled, Unemployment is Low, Welfare High, What Gives? A few things from it, quoting, Welfare rules are supposed to grow in bad times and shrink when jobs and incomes recover. Instead, they've recently continued growing, even as unemployment plunged to historic lows. One trillion dollars in COVID stimulus checks allowed people who weren't poor and wouldn't normally qualify to end up on welfare. The nationwide unemployment rate peaked at 14. 14.7% in April of 2020 and had fallen to 3.7% by October of last year. During the same period, the number of food stamp recipients rose by 1.4 million and the number of Medicaid recipients by 18.5 million. Massive pandemic payments untethered welfare eligibility from the real financial conditions of American families, making means testing meaning less. Now, combine that with some of the work from Nick Eberstadt. Since Labor Day 2021, unfilled non-farm positions have averaged over 11 million a month. For every unemployed person in the U.S. today, there are nearly two jobs open, and the labor shortage affects every region of the country. Major sectors are now wide open to applicants without any great skills, apart from the ability to show up to work regularly, on time, and drug-free. Americans actually had more money in their pockets during pandemic emergency years than they cared to spend. 
so their savings rates doubled. In 2020 and 2021, a windfall of more than $2.5 trillion in extra savings was bestowed, bestowed by Washington on private households through borrowed public funds. $2.5 trillion. The nest egg could supplement earnings or substitute for them. Millions of prime-age working men are now simply not looking for work. As the result, as Eberstadt puts it, if all of those who have dropped out of the labor force entirely are included in the unemployment calculus, rates of non-working men swell to Depression-era levels. A little more from Eberstadt. These men are spending their time in front of screens and relying on a mix of family and government benefits to get by. Prime-age men are among our society's most important contributors generally, and their idleness is harmful both to themselves and society at large. The signs that growing numbers of citizens are ambivalent about working shouldn't be ignored. Success through work, no matter one's station, is a key to self-esteem, independence, and belonging. A can-do, pro-work ethos has served our nation well. America's future will depend in no small part on how and whether her people choose to actually work. So I think we are wrestling with something that is in what I fear is our new natural ether. And we better grasp and understand it before it is too late and we sink into an ever inuring and numbing to this new suck in America, a new normal, which is a new abnormal. Someone the other day said that it, in the rearview mirror, it appears that so much of the COVID hysteria was just an excuse to do- stop doing things we didn't want to do. Stay at a hotel, no room service, no cleaning service. We just accept the explanation because of COVID. Get a car tune-up or service check recently. No car wash as they used to because of COVID. Any service you used to be, well, used to, that is no longer being done because of COVID. So a new ennui and lassitude is beginning to settle in. Here's the problem. This is not how to build or maintain a successful country, which depends on that ethos of work and achievement. Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. put it that the mode in which the inevitable comes to pass isn't a mystery. It's effort. Effort is the mode. Well, we killed that off. And I think not enough are talking about it. We speak a lot of the COVID protocols that failed, but this one may be the one with the greatest or longest term consequences. We have all known there was always a substrata of people who do not want to work, who would rather take some subventions than work. And that, I suppose, will always be with us, but was never as great as it is now. And we endowed it. We paid for it and initiated it and, in other words, caused it. Men generally want to and need to work. It is indeed a virtue. John Witherspoon taught his students, including James Madison, at what was called the College of New Jersey, now Princeton. He said, quote, do not live useless and die contemptible. What an odd thing then it was there was so much contempt and derision for people who opposed government shutdowns of their employment. What an odd thing it is now that we sit around wondering why so many millions of men don't want to work and why the work ethic sucks so much among those who do show up to work. Work is the best way to teach and learn the virtues as their own reward. John Locke put it that children like men hate to be idle. 
Industry comes naturally to children. Think about, as I've illustrated before, how kids love to play store. It's one of their favorite games. And they love building with blocks and Legos. They used to have erector sets. And they love to open things and run things or manage things like lemonade stands. Our founders understood this inherently as well, whether they learned it from John Locke or John Witherspoon or just human nature. As Benjamin Franklin put it, Dost thou love life? Then do not squander time. That is the stuff life is made of. Industriousness, as it turns out, is a way to self-improvement and a culture and country's improvement as well. Sloth, indolence, acedia, these were actually once a time known as sins. Why do we hate slavery? A lot of reasons. One, as Lincoln put it, you work and toil and earn bread and I'll eat it, no matter in what shape it comes, whether from the mouth of a king who seeks to bestride the people of his own nation and live by the fruit of their labor, or from one race of men as an apology for enslaving another race, it is the same tyrannical principle. Or, echoing Genesis, he put it this way in his second inaugural, we should not be wringing the bread from the sweat of other men's brows. Elsewhere, Lincoln said, property is the fruit of labor. Property is desirable, is a positive good in the world. That some should be rich shows that others may become rich, and hence is just encouragement to industry and enterprise. Let not him who is houseless put, pull down the house of another, but let him work diligently to build one for himself, thus by example, assuring that his own house shall be safe from violence. I take it that it is best for all to leave each man free to acquire property as fast he can. Some will get wealthy. He said, I don't believe in a law to prevent man from getting rich. It would do more harm than good. Just encouragement to industry and enterprise. Good words, those. Work was a theme for so many of our Rushmore greats, not just Lincoln. Theodore Roosevelt put it this way as governor of New York, quote, a life of ignoble ease, a life of that peace which springs merely from lack either of desire or of power to strive after great things is as little worthy of a nation as of an individual. I ask only that what every self-respecting American demands from himself and from his sons shall be demanded of the American nation as a whole. Who among us would teach your boys that ease, that peace, is to be the first consideration of their eyes, to be the ultimate goal after which they strive, he asked. Well, we are doing that now, aren't we? Aren't we answering that now? We said work in business and conducting work in business were not important, just as we said going to school was not important. We paid people not to work, and as it turned out, that's one of those light switches we used to talk about that you just can't flip back on and expect the energy and light and radiance of the status quo ante. Chaucer put it that idle hands are the devil's workshop. Telling people not to work was the opposite of everything we've ever done. Mandating it was even worse. And now, given all the data, the effort was nothing short of hysterical. That is to say, not funny, but based on hysteria. And we now have children and adult bodies who, when asked to work hard for their six-figure salaries, will rather throw a tantrum as a child will. All this is simply not good and simply not natural. 
whirlwinds will come from these convulsions, which is why we were right all along. Work rather than welfare, education rather than lazy ignorance, are, were, and should be not just our guideposts and beacons, but our morality for all our health, physical, mental, and civic. And yes, now we must also include economic. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Tight, man. Tight. I like that. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I've been thinking about this, and the example we bring here isn't uh, isn't one I typically would talk about, but I've just been thinking about this notion of um, pins and ribbons and virtue signaling, and there is a tipping point, isn't there, of sorts, where once it's mandated or once you're shamed into doing it it loses its specialness it uses it loses its unique moral signal doesn't it i mean what's the point of showing a moral signal or a moral statement how can you show a moral signal or express a moral statement if it's mandated upon you like if you have to hang in your window workers of the world unite even though you may not believe it I mean, it just doesn't mean that there's a cadre of people that believes it and a cadre that doesn't. You just don't know because it's it's just it's now the coin of the realm. It's like it's it's you know it's it's enforced and it's mandated. It takes away the volitional aspect of it. Issues and Insights writes, a couple of National Hockey League players have refused to be bullied into wearing pride jerseys during pregame warm-ups. And much of the response has been madness and worse. It's another sign that Western culture is in decline. In 1980s, The Sweater, an animated short that gets its title from the traditional term for a hockey jersey in Canada, a boy in Quebec accidentally receives a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey rather than the Montreal Canadiens number 9 Maurice Richard jersey that his mother had ordered and the jersey all his friends wear. As a Quebecois, he is humiliated by the Toronto jersey and benched by his coach. The peer pressure he feels to fit in is enormous. I'm presuming you understood those sentences, Bill. Okay. (laughs) All right. Now in the 2020s, the pressure from radical activists and the corporate cowards who take a knee to them at every opportunity is on the players to wear jerseys during warm-ups that celebrate the LGBTQIA plus community. But even in 2023, when so many among us are either part of the social bullying culture or so fearful of it that we've surrendered to it, there are still men of principle. On January 17th, Philadelphia Flyers defenseman Ivan Provorov declined, declined to wear a pride jersey in warm-ups, citing his Christian beliefs. So he sat in the locker room, banished, while his teammates took their pregame skate. I respect everybody, and I respect everybody's choices, Provorov said after the game. My choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. He mistreated no one, yet he was viciously maligned by those who self-identify as inclusive, tolerant, and righteously fair. However, within days, number nine Provorov game replica sweaters were selling out on the NHL shop and and at Fanatics, indicating that 
Despite the hatred that was heaped on him, shameful hockey media hack E.J. Radic suggested that Provorov return to Europe and, quote, maybe get involved in Russia's war in Ukraine, while sports writer Sid Zeigler huffed that Provorov chose to embrace prejudice. Not just a few appreciated this position. Provorov even had support from Brad Palumbo, a libertarian conservative journalist and the co-founder of Based Politics, who happens to be gay. Ivan Provorov did nothing wrong. He didn't discriminate against anyone. He didn't call anyone names or use any slurs. He didn't even say anything hateful or bigoted. All he did was politely decline to, uh, de- politely decline to affirmatively embrace the pride movement, Palumbo wrote. Sorry, but that's his right. Credit Palumbo for also having the courage to point out that the pride movement is not some apolitical human rights-based cause, as Provorov's critics make it sound. It is, unfortunately, very closely tied with democratic politics, including support for abortion, gun control, and a variety of other issues. Ten days after Provorov made his stand, the New York Rangers did not wear pride jerseys during pregame warm-ups, though they had been scheduled to. The Minnesota Wild also decided against wearing pride jerseys before their March 7th game with the Calgary Flames. Then this past Saturday, San Jose Sharks goalie James Reimer, Reimer, Reimer decided it suited him better to sit in the locker room than to wear a pride jersey during warm-ups. He based his decision on his Christian faith. I have no hate in my heart for anyone, and I've always strived to treat everyone that I encounter with respect and kindness, said Reimer. In this specific instance, I'm choosing not to endorse something that is counter to my personal convictions, which are based on the Bible, the highest authority in my life. In return for the public testimony of his beliefs, he was savaged on social media. Apparently, we live in a country where a large portion of the population can't distinguish between respect for and supporting and promoting. It's entirely possible to accept others if we don't wish to be advocates for their lifestyles, but some simply will not affirm this obvious truth. We acknowledge the NHL is a private business made up of 32 teams and their owners. The league can make its own rules, but requiring players to wrap themselves in the rainbow flag, if we may borrow another line from Palumbo, is discriminatory. And what about the fans? Does the league not care about those who feel they are being forced to endure a stern lecture and tacitly admonished for their standards on pride rights? Yes, hockey is for everyone, as the league slogan goes. It is for the LGBTQIA plus community, minorities, females, the handicapped, Muslims. But it's also for Christians, observant Jews, Mormons, conservatives, traditionalists, anyone who wants to play or watch. Imagine the uproar from the political left if players wore warm-up jerseys with, jerseys with Christian and Jewish symbols or Joseph Smith Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints jerseys. It's a minor miracle that Antifa and other violent extremists haven't crashed teams' military appreciation rights. Just think about what the virtue signal means for a moment when it's mandated and forced on you. It's no longer virtue. It's just obeying the rule of the day, the coin of the realm, the order. Virtue signaling meant to stand for something, which means not for the order, not for the rule, not for the mandate. Maybe that's why we have so little virtue now. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. Easy way to get to him. 
is through GrandCanyonPlanning.com. He also has his own radio show every 7 a.m. Saturday morning right here, The Word on Wealth. How are you, John? Fantastic, Seth. Thank you. Keeping dry. Is it raining out there? I haven't been out in a while. It's been kind of uh, dancing around. Yeah, threatening. Comminatory. (laughs) That's a good word for it. Comminatory. Banking turmoil tests the American consumer uh, is a headline that I want to get to, uh, but over and against the story that I think is probably the most important one that's going to, you know, affect how much we are going to be tested. And that's mm-hmm. the Federal Reserve's decision, which is what, tomorrow, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Tomorrow they end their two days uh, meetings. And, um, you know, it's been uh, an interesting past couple of weeks, you know, since we had Silicon Valley Bank um, fail. And uh, this uh, was something we had a variety of different economic reports coming out showing that uh, inflation is still here. And, it, you know, even though we're starting to see this slowdown, maybe it wasn't rapid enough for the Fed. And, and there was many that believed up until a couple of weeks ago the Fed was probably going to have another half a percent raise. Right. Because of the economic news. That's on what we had been talking about. Yeah. yeah. Right. But. Of course, we did see uh, a couple of uh, issues occur in the yeah. last two weeks yeah. that may uh, bring pause to the Fed. Now, th- thinking uh, in some cases that maybe they won't raise it all until we saw, um, I think it was in Spain, the uh, the raise of rates in, um, for a half a percent. Yeah. Uh, so that might give the opening for the U.S. to do the same. Uh, and we've been seeing the stock market has really been performing extremely well through the uncertainty that has been uh, handed to it with these bank uh, issues in mm-hmm. front of us. So uh, it's really going to be an interesting conversation tomorrow, and I'm interested to hear what's going to happen. Uh, if it's a quarter point, I think that is going to bode fairly well. If it's no raise at all, well, then I think the, uh, that's going to certainly uh, shock the markets as well to the upside. But if it's a half a point, I think that could be potentially a little bit of a, a shock to the downside for the market. So really you have to wait and see. It risks, the Wall Street Journal reports, raising rates risks exacerbating market upheaval, a painful downturn, and potentially more exhaustive interventions if officials miscalculate. That last point is the one that I think, of course, people are worried about at a macro level. Individually, Mm -hmm. access to money, of course, is the short-term personal issue. But as a macro level, exhaustive, uh, more uh, exhaustive interventions, if officials miscalculate, that means bailouts. That means all kinds of more federal spending. And, you know, it just means never hitting the, never getting to the natural zero, never getting to to the natural equilibrium, doesn't it? Well, it means a distortion is what yes. it means. Yeah, and, and I mean Janet Yellen has basically said if there's any other uh, issues that the Fed would come in and they would backstop if necessary. Uh, and so, you know, how far do they go with this? Right. You know, that's that's the question. And one is wondering, are they, is, is the Treasury Department talking to the Fed? I don't know how much they can with one another. Uh, yeah. I, I'm sure they. they I, I mean, yes, is the answer. They are, but I'm, some type I'm not. Of yeah, but, goal, I, I'm but I'm not yeah. sure they're singing from the same sheet of right. music. Is I yeah. guess the way, the better and, way and to again, put it. Yeah. You, hate, you hate to think that this is politicized, right? Because uh, it really shouldn't be. This is too important. Yeah. Um, and it seems like until a you know a crisis occurs, 
uh, the politics is is what leads a lot of the decisions. Unfortunately, yes, 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 and the economy generally at the macro level. Back to that first headline in the mm-hmm. Wall Street Journal, uh, testing the American consumer because with those rates changes, it will affect the ability to obtain loans, buy homes, right. cars, and other big ticket all, items. All the right, different things. Right, but you know, uh, you know, we have other things such as house housing prices yep. uh, down yep. as well. Yep. Uh, so the raises that have been occurring have certainly. Uh, had an effect, mm-hmm. and, and that is what the Fed was trying to do. They, I believe, they've accomplished their goal. I don't think they need to be, uh, you know, making it uh, a little bit harder than it already is for people at this point. Let let things settle. I mean, it's like any decision we make in our own personal life. You know, we take things to a certain level. We can take a step back. We can look. We're not forced to make another decision yet. Uh, but, uh, boy, all the pressure is going to be on them tomorrow. It's really going to be interesting to hear what they have to say and what ultimately they do. Thank you very much, John. Yeah. Okay. Well, it'll be a big one for us tomorrow to discuss. We'll yeah. know by then. Yeah. And we if we don't have these uh, systemic issues with yeah. the, with the uh, financial institutions, um, it looks like the market is starting to make a turn. Thank you, so, sir. Yep. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. All right, John. Thank yep. you, and God bless you. We'll talk to you later. 602-508-0960. ...is handling the economy. We got banks failing, stock market volatility, and possibly a recession coming. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises, where your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, there are no fees, you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. It's a secure, collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. Talk to my friends at Y-Refi. They're here, locally based. You can visit with them. I know them well. They're trustworthy and honest, and you won't get a sales pitch. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm, and you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Just check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or call 888-Y-REFI-34. That's 888 888- why refi 34 make sure and tell him i sent you steve is in tempe steve how are you buddy good seth how are you we're gonna make a pattern here of talking professional sports aren't we i know i was just gonna say uh, this is this is a uh this is definitely amazing the two days in a row uh for, with a sports topic on your show well it's and, not a uh, sports topic per se it's a cultural no, no, you're right right it's I, I you'll notice the way i get to sports is through another angle through another <laughs> cultural angle and then that forces me since i know that cultural angle it forces me to kind of ask bill a few questions here and there just to be dangerous enough to know what a hockey puck is yeah, and and I'm glad you I'm glad you did. Yeah, so. we're and, getting and there, I, baby I, steps. I, and I, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I appreciate Bill relaxing your your requirements. Yes. Of, yeah. So as it relates to my call, so I appreciate that. But yeah, honestly, Seth, I I just I I don't know if you knew, but uh, I, I'm a hockey player. I played for the last 20 years, and I'm playing tonight. As a matter of fact, I'm not surprised. I'm, you look like you could be. Yeah, I've met you before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. But anyways, I um, 
this issue, I, I've been, and also on top of that, I've been a Coyotes, Arizona Coyotes season ticket holder from day one when they came here. And last season was the first time that they had a gay pride night celebrating the LGBTQ or TQ or whatever yeah, 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 yeah. plus group. And I, you know, honestly, I thought it was just, it was an ownership decision to do that. I, did, I had no idea that Gary Bettman was the one that was driving this, Gary Bettman being the commissioner of the NHL. Of course, and it, yeah. As it turns out that he is. And, and, and he's, he's making a big mistake here because, I, I mean, when you break this all down, you know, you know, I have friends that are gay. I know you do, too. And I, I love my friends regardless of what their sexual preferences are. It doesn't matter to me. They know I don't understand a lot of it and agree with, with their decisions related to that, but they they know that I'm still their friend, and, and that's... But to celebrate in a... In a in a game situation, pregame situation like this, celebrate somebody's sexual preferences is what it really breaks down to. It's a, it's a disgrace. Let me, let me ask you there a question: so How other, much how much of yeah. a celebration is it if it's mandated? I mean, if if you're celebrating someone at a birthday party and you don't know the person, are you really celebrating their birth if you're not interested in it? Are you really celebra- Are you helping them celebrate their birthday? You don't know them, you don't know anything about them, and you should just show... I mean, how much of a celebration is it really if it's mandated? How, how authentic it, is it if it's mandated? Those friends you describe, probably half or more of them don't want anything to do with this kind of stuff and don't agree with the agenda that it embraces on many other issues that are, you know, hardly related to the issue of, 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 their, of their sexual preference. I mean, there are those problems that, as well. But aside from those problems, how is it a celebration if you're forced to do it? No, you're, that's, you're, you're absolutely correct. And... And it's you're right. I'll, it, I'll tell you what a so. celebration is. Here's 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 what yeah. here's what a real moral virtue signal is. Here's what an authentic signaling is. When you are told not to rock the boat, and you put a pin on or a f- or 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 you hold up a sign. If you're in, let's say, another sport like the NBA, which takes a lot of money from China. And you hold up a sign or wear a pin that says "Stand with the people of Hong Kong." That's real, okay? Because right. you're, you're, you you know you're bucking what they kind of wish you wouldn't say, but is also you kind of know the right thing to do. Right. And and they crushed that. They crushed that. Whether it was Steve Kerr, the NBA, or Daryl Morey, they crushed even that idea. They said you can't even stand for your own principles. By the way, principles yeah. that tolerate uh, tolerate all these other pride principles and democratic uh, and democratic thought rather than tyrannical, not. Oh yeah, and, and that's one of the. What do you think the gay issue... rights are in China? By the way. Oh yeah, no, exactly. And I could, I could, I'll call in another time about another issue related to that. But I and, and hockey, but but Seth, the thing that really disturbs me the most about this issue as it relates to the NHL is, you know, I, I'm, I was very proud of the two, of the two guys, uh, Proveroff, uh, with Philadelphia and Reimer, the goalie that's 
that have stood up because and and by the way, this is a side issue, Seth. Isn't it interesting how um, a hockey player from Russia is protesting because of religious beliefs? A Russian, yeah, is, 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 yeah, it is Russian country. Orthodox. I mean, You're right. You're right. It's Russian Orthodox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For Christian beliefs, but no. What, what, what I was where I was going with this is that these guys in the NHL are some of the toughest individuals you will ever meet in your to life. Be sure. Yeah. And, 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 uh, it is a very, very difficult, hard sport to get to that, to be able to get to that level of play in, sure. in, in, in the NHL. And what really has disappointed me is, and, and there, and to their credit, some teams have, I don't know if you uh, knew this, but there are some teams, I think Minnesota, the uh, New York Islanders and the New York Rangers have had a number of players that have protested this, and they've purposely uh, vacated that requirement for wearing the the rainbow jerseys uh, uh, prior to their game because of because of these players standing up. But I'm surprised. I was really surprised that there weren't more players behind Provorov on. His yeah, these. Yeah, exactly. What is this I mean, tough as deal? nail stuff? Yeah, how yeah, tough exactly. as nails are these people? Right, right. But Any that, of these athletes? That, but, exactly. Yeah, but Seth, what it what it does indicate to me, and or what it did indicate to me, is just how powerful. Yes. That social media yes. pushback yes. is in the fear yes. that it creates among even the toughest. It can, yes, it takes down hockey players and basketball players. There's nothing so strong as ideology, Steve. You're absolutely right. That 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 Martinet forced confession. That Marxist forced confession is more powerful than the strongest of hockey players. That says something, doesn't it? That tells you that's a very good point, Steve. Well worth thinking about. Well worth making. Glad you did. Uh, We'll be right back. With so many cracks showing up in the banking system and over $31 trillion in U.S. debt, how can you say just print more? Venezuela, Zimbabwe, Argentina, all did that. And then the defaults came. Gold has never defaulted. Veteran-owned Midas Gold Group will reinforce your portfolio. Call them to look into safeguarding your money with the stability of gold while you can. I trust them. I own precious metals from them. And gold traditionally holds its value when economies fail. Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, now Credit Swiss Bank. Midas Gold Group believes we're in the early stages of a growing crisis, and the Fed's higher interest rates are your cue to creating your own bank with real money gold. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com, or better yet, call them at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Steve, are you still there? Did you have another point you wanted to make? No. Okay, Steve is uh, gone. I was just scanning the news to see if there was anything out of New York. It's probably too late there now on this question of the Donald Trump uh, indictment or the looming indictment of Donald Trump. Um, And the answer is no. So a frenzy again over something that uh, hasn't happened, hasn't happened yet, may not happen, may not happen. I, I, for one, I get the political guesswork going on here and how it is perhaps the worse the better kind of notion that if he is indicted on this trumped up misdemeanor 
it'll be good for GOP fortunes, if not his. Uh, I just assume pass it by. I just assume not see this happen. I just assume us not have to dig into the details of what went on here. I just assume not have to be put on defensive again. And I just assume we go back to focusing on kind of things that are important and that the DA of New York should find important, which is the rise of violent crime, including homicide, on his watch while he de-escalated and refused to prosecute about 50% of otherwise known felonies. The attention that this is taking can only not only be a distraction for his office of prosecutors, if there are good ones left there, but it's really quite distracting for a nation that just doesn't need another one of these kinds of things. But if you had the news that you have today of... Um, Xi and Putin vowing cooperation, economic, possibly military. If you had headlines about what went wrong with bank oversight and failing banks, if you had a Republican president, you think the headlines would be a little bit different and the commentary would be a little bit different? I know they would be. But you know what you wouldn't have with a Republican president? Those headlines. Consider that, too. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. 